0: What's up Traders Point family, how are we doing today? Good to see you and be with you. I want to welcome everybody joining us across all of our physical locations and those of you joining us online. And if this happens to be your first time to be with us, we are in week number three of a series of messages that we are calling, Let's Talk About It. And the big idea around this is that we all know that we are in the middle of a once in a century, global pandemic. How could you forget that? Everybody's talking about it every day. But there's another pandemic that's going on at the exact same time that we're not talking about nearly enough. And that is simply the mental and emotional health pandemic. And it's a very real thing. According to the Kaiser Foundation, one out of two of every one of us are wrestling with emotional and mental health. Health. Now, I want you just to let that sink in for just a minute. One out of two. That means either you or the person next to you. That means either you or the person you're married to or are dating. That means you or one of your children or your friends. That's like half the room of whatever room you might be in right now. And here's the thing about mental and emotional health with those numbers, that means that there's Thousands and thousands of us wrestling with this. But when you're the one wrestling with mental and emotional health, there's a feeling in which you feel like you're all alone in it. And even if you know that other people are wrestling with it, it oftentimes doesn't feel that way. It feels very isolating. And you look around, it feels like everybody else has kind of got their stuff together, except for you, and it just further isolates. Or, or even worse, you tried to share what you were going through with someone, and they didn't receive it very well. And maybe a well-meaning Christian, they, they sort of over-spiritualized it. And they were just like, well, you know, just, just pray it away. And that didn't help. Maybe uh, you tried to share it with somebody and they just kind of gave you this deer in headlights look. They just had no idea what you were talking about. And they didn't know how to, they were very uncomfortable. And they just kind of said, you know, we all have bad days. You know, you'll snap out of it. And that didn't help either. And it just further entrenched you in that feeling of isolation and shame to the point that you said, I'm just not gonna talk about it anymore. And so you're just sort of shouldering it all on uh, your own. Maybe uh, you are a medical worker and this last year has been brutal for all kinds of reasons. And you've been right on the front lines and and maybe you've been worried about uh, putting your family at risk. And you've been in hospital rooms where a patient is dying by themselves because family can't be in there. But so, so you're in there and you're on the phone with the family and experience after experience of that, it's taken its toll on you emotionally and mentally to the point where you need some help, but you're afraid to articulate that because you're, you're afraid that you might potentially lose your medical license. And so you don't say anything and you struggle with it alone. Maybe you're a school teacher And your job is difficult enough as it is, let alone trying to teach kids in the middle of a pandemic. And maybe you've got some kids back in the classroom physically and some kids are on Zoom and you're wondering if any of them are paying attention. And you're wondering if any of this is getting through and it feels like the parents are always upset with you and the days are really, really long and just you're struggling emotionally and mentally. But when are you gonna go get help because your schedule is so full and so you don't. And you just carry it with you alone. Maybe you've got kids in your house right now and and they're struggling with mental and emotional help. And as a parent, like you wish you could take it from them, but you don't know how and you don't know how to help. And and you kind of feel like a failure. You kind of feel like you're a crummy mom or a crummy dad and, and you're afraid to tell other people about it for fear of what they might think. And you're just sort of stuck. Can I just say right now that if this is you, you are not alone and we want to talk about it. As a church family, we're all struggling with it, and so let's talk about it. This should be a safe place, and I know that oftentimes church in the past hasn't been, but this should be a safe place for us to share our stress, our sin, and our struggles without shame. So that, let's agree with that. If we're going to agree, let's agree, all right? So that we might experience some restoration, And some hope and some healing that can come obviously mentally, emotionally, chemically, but as well as spiritually through a reconnection with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago, we kicked off this series by talking about anger. Last weekend, uh, Pastor Ryan did an amazing job just walking us through the issue of addiction. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about depression and doubt. But today we're going to talk about a big one. We're going to talk about anxiety. And the statistics on this are just mind-blowing. This all comes from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So you can kind of look this up on your own. But 40 million adults wrestle with it every single year. Uh, One out of 20 children are found to wrestle with it every year. Only uh, 36.9% of those with anxiety disorders are receiving treatment. Now think about that for a minute. If that's true, then 63% of us that are wrestling with this are not getting the help or the treatment that we need. We're wrestling with it by ourselves in isolation. The effects of anxiety and depression combined cost the global economy $1 trillion every single year. And the statistics on this have increased by 50% from 1990 to 2013. And these statistics are not slowing down. In fact, if anything, the pandemic, just like everything else, is accelerating them. And we wanna help. And due to your generosity, as a church, we want to be able to provide the resources to help. In fact, I want to encourage you to go to tpcc.org care. Don't do it now, but later in the week and, uh, or later today. And there's a whole host of resources there that we've put together to try to help you or the person that you love walk through whatever mental and emotional health issues you might have, because we want this to be practically of help. One of the things you'll hear us say all the time is we wanna offer help and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this, don't go at this alone. Don't go at this alone, you are not alone. There's a whole bunch of other people wrestling with this. In fact, um, listen to this wisdom that is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses nine through 10. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You want to know one of the reasons why this past year has been so difficult on us. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. But one of the general reasons is that every single one of us, me included, have fallen in some way. We've fallen in our issues. We've fallen in confusion and disorientation and stress. We've fallen into our fears, anxieties, depressions, and doubts, and because we are isolated from one another, there hasn't been anybody there to help us. I mean, just think about the dominant message that has been and is being communicated around our nation, even around the world right now during this pandemic. Here's the dominant message. Stay away from each other. And I'm not saying that that's not needed. I'm saying there are some repercussions for that. In fact, Pop quiz. I bet you can finish these statements with me. In fact, at all of our campuses and online, just finish this sentence. Everywhere you go, practice six feet of social distancing. Yeah, we've got that drilled into our head. If you are in a public place, you must wear a mask. It, um, go to that. If you test positive or have been near someone who has, you must self-isolate or quarantine. Now, listen, as a result, our issues have gotten magnified because we're carrying around all these heavy, heavy, emotional burdens alone, isolated. Now, please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I do not want you to misunderstand me. I am not saying that those public health measures weren't or aren't needed. What I am saying is that the things that we are doing to protect our physical bodies from a virus are taking their toll on us mentally and emotionally. I am saying that. And since you are a whole person, meaning you cannot separate your physical well being from your emotional well being, from your mental well being, to your spiritual well being, if one of them is hurting, all of them are hurting. And one of my primary concerns, obviously, I'm concerned about your physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm also not a doctor, I'm a pastor which means I'm really, really concerned about your spiritual health. And can I just say that uh, this pandemic has uh, blown me away in so many ways. And one of those is that if you would have told me 18 months ago what we would have gone through as a church, I would have thought we were done. It would have been enough to fold us. And so this has taught me, God's like, hey, Aaron, the church is way more resilient than you think. Like we have navigated this in ways that I never, ever thought that we could. And yet at the same time, I also know that it's taken a toll on us. I read a statistic this last week that said one out of five Christ followers, people that are already convinced they're already in, they're following Jesus. One out of five Christ followers dropped out of church altogether in 2020. Meaning not only did they stop showing up physically, they stopped showing up digitally as well. And I've talked to a number of them in our church. And they mean well, and they still believe in Jesus and all that. There's no judgment there. It's just that um, uh, they forgot what day it was, that online's not their thing, that they're wrestling with depression, falling into their addictions, and so they just sort of backed away from the table. And I just want to take this opportunity. I'm going to continue to, to do this in the next few months, is just encourage you to re engage and be on mission. Not because we need you to show up, but because I want what God wants for your life. I want you to experience it to the fullest. This last week, I was on the phone with um, uh, my therapist slash leadership coach slash friend. Right? he's all three of those. And he, he's a great guy, he lives in Chicago. And we're on the phone, we have a phone conversation scheduled every two to three weeks. And he asked me this question that I didn't quite fully, I didn't answer adequately, let's just say it that way. He said, hey, Aaron, uh, how you feeling? And I was like, oh, fine. And he's like, no, that's not a real answer. He's like, let me ask that again. Like, how you feeling? I was like, oh, good. He's like, that's not a good answer. I don't know how many of you are like me. Like you have, you're not very good at being in touch with uh, how you're doing emotionally. And if you're like me, I like just like, Aaron, what are you feeling right now? What are your emotions? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and so he, he said, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a list of 21 uh, emotional needs and I want you to order off the menu. I want you to just look at all those needs and just assign one to what you need today, how you're feeling and what you need. And then he said this, he goes every single day at some point during the day, I want you just to stop. I want you to ask yourself, how am I feeling and what do I need? And if you don't know what it is, order off the menu. And he said, if you go two or three days without knowing what to say or what you need, you need to call me so that we can talk about it. Can I just very lovingly pass that same kind of counsel on to you, whoever you are and wherever you may be. Can I just look right into the camera? I'm I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to your spouse. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. How are you doing? And what do you need? Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I wanna encourage you during this time, I really do believe that we are entering into a new day. I'm sort of a future type thinker, like I'm future oriented. And that's what's been difficult about the pandemic is I've always been kind of thinking about the future, not as president today. I really do believe we're emerging into a new day. I wanna encourage you to to stay engaged and locked in with us and attentive to what God wants to say to you. So here's what I wanna say is that our church right now is 100% physical and 100% digital. And if you're joining us physically, or if you're joining us digitally, both of those are viable options. That's kind of the world we live in. Sometimes I go into Lowe's to buy the part. Sometimes I order it online. And I know that as a church, we're gonna be, we've been both for quite a while. We're just way more intentional about the digital side. But let me say this, if you're staying digital, and, and I want you to hear my heart pastorally, if you're on digital because you're not comfortable coming back, because you're at high risk or because you're caring for someone who is, we totally get that. We support you. We love you. Traders point online. will be there forever. If you are staying online because it's convenient or because you've maybe gotten a little bit lazy or because maybe it's uh, just going on in the background and maybe your family is like all making breakfast and the dog and the cat are chasing each other around the living room and the kids are playing Nintendo switch off in the corner. And this is just background noise. Can I just very lovingly encourage you to dial back in? Maybe you need to show back up physically at some point. We've taken all the precautions so that you're, you're physically as safe as you can be at one of our campuses. But regardless of whether it's physical or digital, I want you just to be attentive to the spirit of God. And I want you engaged and involved. What does that mean? Well, that means serving. That means giving. That means being involved in a group. That means being on mission and sharing what God is doing in and through your life and through the life of this local church. You see, something that may surprise you is that people in the Bible, they really wrestled with anxiety and depression. And that may be brand new information to you because we have a tendency to think that if you were in the Bible, then you must've been a super spiritual superhero. But that's not the case. They were very real people like you and me. In fact, I wanna point you, to a book of the Bible in which a prophet named Jeremiah just airs out all the anxiety that he was wrestling with. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Jeremiah says, He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, anxiety. When you are in the pit of that, it feels like darkness. And it can begin to feel like maybe God's doing this to you. Like maybe God's punishing me for some reason by sending anxiety into my life. And it feels relentless, like wave after wave after wave. Like there's no relief, when's it gonna end? And every time I look in the mirror, it just feels like this is aging me. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And maybe you can relate to that. And he says in verse five, he has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. Meaning when you're in the middle of it, you feel surrounded. You feel like the walls are closing in and it's suffocating. On down in verses 17 and 18, it says, Peace has been stripped away, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. And I cry out. Now, notice this is in quotes. Now, Jeremiah is saying all of it, but this next sentence is in quotes. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. In other words, he's saying, All my hope is gone. And that last sentence in quotes signifies that this was a thought that Jeremiah was uh, spinning on over and over and over again in his mind. And it was going nowhere. In fact, psychologists have a a term for this very thing. They call it ruminating. And it's the idea that a toxic uh, self-talk kind of gets into our head. And we spin on it, we sort of fume about it, we're ruminating on it and it's not going anywhere. It's kind of like the clothes in a dryer. They just like sit there and spin and spin and spin and spin. And that's what happens to our our thoughts. You're just rehearsing the negative. Now, how this begins is in a very legitimate way. In fact, this begins with what we might call just an understandable worry. Now, one of the things I never really had explained to me is uh, how worry and anxiety are different from one another and how they relate to one another. So therefore, and we're going to look at a passage here in a minute that I think has been misunderstood and misapplied by a lot of people. Um, And this is kind of where we get this. But I always kind of grew up thinking that all worry was bad and that you should never worry. It's like, hey, don't worry about that. That's a bad thing to do. But I never really knew why or what to do with it. And not all worry is bad. It might be uh, surprising for you to hear me say that God actually created worry within your amygdala. We talked about that a couple weeks ago uh, that kind of then sends messages to your central nervous system. And initially it is not a bad thing. It's kind of like um, several years ago when our family decided that we were gonna make a conscious effort to begin eating healthier. And I heard something I'd never heard before. That uh, not all fat is bad fat. Some fat is good fat. Did you know that? Like I had no idea. I heard that for the first time. I didn't believe it at first. I was like, I mean, I thought all fat is bad fat. Like it's yucky, bad fat. But no, there's actually you actually need some fat in your diet in order to be healthy. And I would say that not all worry is bad worry. It's this idea, it triggers like fight or flight. It's this idea, it keeps you alive right? It's just, you're anticipating or sensing danger or a threat. I want my kids to have a healthy worry of creepy strangers and dangerous intersections. I just don't want them to live there. And see, that's the thing. Worry is something that can be good for us, but it's kind of like a hotel room. Hotel room is good to check into temporarily, not good to move into. And so what happens is is that when we stay with worry and we ruminate on it and we we, we move in there is that uh, it begins to shape the neurological pathways. A new pathway gets carved and you stay there long enough and it will turn into crippling or chronic anxiety. I want you to think about it this way is that worry takes place in your brain. Anxiety gets felt in your body. Worry is something that is specific. So let me give you an example of this. Like uh, you're on your way to the airport, you gotta catch a flight and you get caught in traffic and you get worried you might miss your flight. That is a very understandable, very legitimate worry. But let's just say you get to the airport on time, you get into your seat, you buckle up and, and you made it, but you're still worried. That's anxiety. Anxiety is vague. You can't quite fully put your finger on it. And so it's just this sense. It travels from your head to your body and you're constantly on that fight or flight mode. We can say it this way. Anxiety is unchecked worry that makes its way from your head to your heart. And this is not a theoretical for me. This is very real. I've experienced it. In November of 2018, I did a message series on anxiety called On Edge. And if you were a part of our church, maybe you remember that series. And, and I did all kinds of research, did all kinds of study on it because I knew it was a big, big issue. And I knew that it was going to be a delicate subject. And so I spent probably twice the amount of time on it than I do a normal message. And within that series, I shared with our whole church family about a season of anxiety and depression that I walked through. But back from 2004, the middle part of 2004 to the beginning of 2006. Now here's the problem with that illustration. It's a further enough in my rear view that it sort of maybe gave you the impression like, well, you know, I dealt with that a long time ago, but I'm like way past it. And I didn't anticipate the fact that I would go through uh, another season of it in 2020. And to be honest with you, I still don't know if I'm fully out of it. And the pandemic last spring, it turned all of our worlds upside down. It's hard on every single one of us, just in some different ways. And it was definitely hard on me. And I don't say this to like make you feel sorry for me, but just to say, I get it. And I remember back in the spring when all this happened and uh, it was surreal to me that we couldn't have, like we couldn't get together physically. And as a pastor, I was really, really struggling. And I would say that in the, from like uh, March, April, from March all the way through August, really, really dark. And uh, it was disorienting. And as I look back on it, I would say that uh, uh, some of my strengths came to the surface and some of my weaknesses got unmasked. And you may not have been able to see them, but my team saw them and my wife saw them. And uh, it was a kind of a heart check moment. Well, you need to understand about me, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a, a three wing two, which means I'm an achiever who wants to help people. And the way in which I get fulfillment and the way in which my leadership compass gets calibrated is by doing what I'm doing right now standing on this stage and preaching and teaching the Word of God. Honestly, like this is what I believe that God put me on the planet to do. And when I do it, I feel this sense of fulfillment from God, and, and I, I feel like um, I'm, I'm able to, to help the most. And, and when I'm up here, I'm not, I'm not uh, imagining all of you naked. All right, aren't you glad for that? Right, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking over your heads or anything. I'm looking at you, those of you that are in the room. And if you're watching from another campus or online, I'm imagining you. And, and, and those of you that are in the room, your body language, I, I can sense all of it. It is a weird spidey sense. If I sit together with you in a booth at a restaurant, I would have no idea what you're feeling. Get in a room like this, I can feel everybody's body. Like I can feel all of your energy. And so when I feel like I'm losing you, I'll shift and I'll change directions to try to grab you. And that's just part of how God has like wired me up. Whenever we couldn't meet physically, it felt like the achiever in me and the helper in me went dark. And I didn't feel useless. I didn't feel useful to anybody. And I hate preaching into a camera all alone. And month after month of that, they were like, I would come here, I'll just let you know, we would come here on Friday morning, we would record the whole service And I'd be in a room mostly by myself and I'd preach directly to a camera and I would get done. And I couldn't wait to get out to my car in the parking lot because as soon as I would get into the truck, I would shut the door and just weep for weeks. And I would come home and my wife would meet me at the door and she knew it was hard. And more than once I looked at her and I said, I said, honey, if this is what ministry is for the rest of my life, I'm out. I'll go sell insurance or something. I can't do it. And so it was that disorientation. And then we got to the end of May in the beginning of June. You Remember that time? And there's all this social unrest and there's all this rioting and there's all this talks of racism. And I knew that part of my responsibility as your pastor is to not reflect what the culture is sending us, but to teach what is God's word have to say about a very real issue. And the Bible has a lot to say about racism. And so I was preparing to preach on that very touchy subject. And I knew that I was going to take a lot of shots for it. And I got more criticism during that first week of June than I've ever experienced in my entire time at Trader's Point. And so because uh, we weren't able to meet uh, physically, it felt like I was blindfolded and I was just getting uh, punched. And I didn't know where to go or how to address it or how to help people. And I felt misunderstood, but but I couldn't be physically with anybody. And that week... Um, my grandma died. And it just like sent everything over the edge. My mom called me, it was a Tuesday morning. She said, grandma just died. We need you to get back uh, to Joplin because we need you to speak at her funeral on Friday. And I had to preach on racism that week. And so I knew I needed to be the one to, I I couldn't just pass this one off to Ryan. I was like, no, the church needs to hear from me. So what that meant was I had to write one of the most challenging sermons I've ever had to write in a day. Usually it takes me three days. I had to write it in a day and I had to come into this room and preach it to a camera on a Wednesday morning alone and then leave to go out of town and not have any idea how it, might hit, how it might land on you. And I lost it on that Tuesday. I fell down face down on the ground and I cried all day long. And I called one of our elders and I said, can I really need you? Can you get over here? And he didn't ask any questions. He dropped everything and he drove over to my house and we were sitting on our, my front porch And he just walked up and he just sat down next to me. And he just let me emotionally throw up all over him. And he just let me cry. And he cried with me. Can I just say for those of you that have a loved one that is going through emotional and mental health struggles, that the more severe the struggle, the less you need to say. You don't need to try to fix it. You don't need to try to talk them out of it. You just need to be with and let them cry and cry with them. And here's what was happening to me during that time. I had some very specific worries and concerns that stayed wide open during that whole time. And it eventually morphed into this sort of chronic feeling of anxiety. It was like an accelerator that was stuck wide open. You see, with worry, you can take some sort of action to mitigate it. But with anxiety, you cannot fight it because it's a ghost. It's like trying to box with a shadow. You can never land a punch because it's not specific enough for you to deal with. So how do we address some of this ongoing, crippling, maybe chronic anxiety in our lives? One of the things that I want you to know, let me just take this off the table. You'll never hear me say, well, you just pray it away. Just just be more spiritual. You'll never hear me say that. You'll never hear me just look at you and say, well, you don't want to worry, do you? No, I don't want to worry. Well, stop it. Like, I'm never going to do that, all right? But at the same time, and I might encourage you to go to tpcc.org care. You might need some help and some medication and some treatment. But there's also some truths in God's word that just, listen to me, just because they've been mistaught, misunderstood, or misapplied doesn't mean they're not true. And I want to go to a passage of scripture out of Philippians that oftentimes gets misunderstood and misimplied. So you hear it and you're going to want to go, I've heard that before. That's oversimplifying or over-spiritualizing it. Listen to it again. Let it land freshly upon you. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. This is where some of us begin to tune it out. We're like, Well, that's impossible. I can't help it. Right? You don't understand. This is a chem- Listen, just, just relax. Let it land on you. He says, this is your heavenly father. Hey, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Now, how this has been misunderstood, mistaught and misapplied as you hear this is to say, don't worry, that's bad. Instead, pray it away. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should never have a worry. He's saying when a worry enters your mind, don't let it travel to your heart. Don't let it dwell there. Don't move into hotel worry. You can actually redirect it. You can do something with it. And it gets very, very practical with what you and I can do. See, worry is talking to yourself about your problems. And then you just stay there. And you just ruminate on it. It's the the spinning that Jeremiah was doing in Lamentations. It's all the what ifs. They're rehearsing the worst case scenarios in your mind. It is you spending enormous amounts of emotional energy on things that might never happen. It is a down payment on a problem you might not ever have. Somebody once said this, worry is an internal false prophet that prophesies a hopeless future of doom. So why do we do it? Well, I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. And and by the way, I'm really good at worry. Right behind sarcasm, it's my next best spiritual gift. I'm really, really good at worry. And I can tell you this, is that the reason why I worry is because I feel like things are out of my control and I'm a bit of a control freak. And so worry feels like I'm controlling something and it's all false. I'm not controlling anything. Can I say this? Worry is a mental habit. And if it's a mental habit, you can retrain yourself. You can do something with it. See, here's the lie that many of us believe subconsciously is that if I worry today, I'll have peace tomorrow. But you won't. Jesus being the master teacher that he was, he knew this. And one time when he was addressing a group of his fearful followers, he said this in Matthew chapter six, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer is no. Like you stay in that headspace long enough, the only thing your worry will change is you. It'll make you miserable. And I have never looked back on a season of worry after I was kind of through whatever it was I was worried about. I thought, man, I'm really, really glad I spent all that emotional energy worrying. It was totally worth it because worry doesn't do anything for you. Worry can't make you prettier or more handsome. Worry can't make you stronger or richer. Worry can't make you shorter or taller. Worry cannot lengthen your life, although it can shorten it. It cannot change your past or control the future. All it does is make today miserable. Charles Spurgeon one time repeated this truth. He said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. I mean, think about it. If you worry about something you can't change, that's useless. If you're worried about something you can change, well, that's silly. Like take some action and and maybe change it. And listen, I'm not saying that you should pray it away or just stop it. I am saying that we need to redirect our worries. And Paul gives us some very practical ways to do this. It's this decision that you make, whether it's on your own or whether through professional help, treatment, or medication. I'm no longer going to ruminate on this. I'm no longer going to spin on this because it's, it's leading me to nowhere good. I might have a worry, very legitimate, I am not going to be worried. Well, how do we do this? Well, he gets super practical. Verses six and seven. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. That's all that he says there. And then he says, and then you will experience. That, that's something that you feel. You'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And see, that's part of the problem. We want to understand it. And he says, will you have peace that surpasses understanding? In other words, it won't make any sense to you given the circumstances of your life. And there's so much that is packed into those three sentences that is so refreshing if you really stop to listen because it's all relational. It's not transactional. And oftentimes I want a transactional God. I want to say, God, this is the issue that I have. Take it away. And God just most of the time will not do that. He wants to be relational. And he says, Quite simply, thank God for all he's done. Tell him what you need. He never once says, pray to be delivered from. It is the thing of for what he's done. Tell him what you need. And then you'll experience this peace. You know, I used to think for the longest time that uh, life was either, you either had good days or bad days. You either had mountaintop experiences or valleys. And I'm just learning that it's just not that cut and dry. The older that I get, Very rarely, I might be in a season that's good, but there's always some sort of struggle. What I'm learning is that very rarely is there a mountaintop and a valley. Like so oftentimes, like I'll I'll wait till I get on the mountaintop and then I'll thank God for what he did to deliver me from the valley. What I find is I'm, I'm never thanking him because I never feel like I'm fully out of the valley. Instead of a mountaintop or a valley, life is more like a set of railroad tracks. And you get the good and you get the bad. You've got the victories and you've got the struggles running side by side, which which means that God wants to be with you all the time through it and there is always something you can thank God for even in the darkest of days. Listen, we do not get to choose what we are going through. What we do get to choose is what we'll think about and what we think about will determine our level of peace. He says it in verse seven. His peace, the peace that God gives you, this is really interesting how he phrases it, will guard, he doesn't say he'll deliver you. He will guard your hearts and your minds, your worries and your anxieties as you live in Christ Jesus. God wants to guard your heart and your mind with peace. The question that we have to say is, is my mind already completely filled with comparisons, conflicts, criticisms, and complaints? And if so, then I don't have any place to put God's peace. And Paul goes on and says, here's the eight question test, verses eight and nine. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. In other words, this is something you're gonna have to do intentionally. Fix thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep, in other words, stay consistent. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Here's the promise. And this is a promise. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is so practical. He didn't say God will deliver you, at least initially. Isn't it fascinating? He's, Paul is, Paul's no dummy. He is picking his words very intentionally guard instead of deliver, hearts and minds, worries and anxieties, that that God will be with you in the midst of all of this. He is telling us right here to think about what we think about. And that's where all of this begins. You gotta think about what you think about. And I I promise you that you can do this. And I know that you can do it because what we think our thought life is a mental habit. And if you have ever had to... uh, uh, train a toddler, like if you've ever been potty training or you've got to train a puppy, try to housebreak a puppy. Any of you had to do that? Any of you in the middle of doing that right now? you got a toddler home trying to potty train and a puppy trying to house train. You, if you're doing that, you can do this with your thoughts because here's the thing is when you're in the middle, of, it takes a while. And just when you think you're making progress, you turn around and there's a pile of poo right there <laughs> in the living room. And the puppy even made a mess over there, all right? <laughs> and what do you do? Do you just like throw up your hands and say, this will never change? No, you, you very patiently, you, you clean up the mess and then you go and you do some retraining. And Paul says, this is the same thing when it comes to our thoughts, is when you have a thought that just makes a mess in your head, clean it up, retrain your thinking, and here's how you do it. Through this eight question test. You think to yourself, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Now this is the eight question test. I'd encourage you to put all this on a piece of paper and tape it above your computer screen. Or put it on your mirror. And every day when a thought comes into your mind, then you run it against the grid of this test. And if it isn't true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise, it's out. You just kick it out. You say you're not staying in here any longer. And some of you are like, well, that's really easy for you. Listen, Listen to me. You've got to be so intentional about this. If you're failing at this, And the first thing you're doing in the morning is picking up your phone and looking at the news feeds or social media. And one of the last things you're doing at night before you go to bed is looking at news feeds and social media. Then there's no room for the thoughts of peace that God wants to put into your mind. You want to know what is more infectious than the coronavirus? Anxiety it passes more efficiently within groups of people. And all studies point to the fact that the more social media intake you have, it only increases loneliness, depression, and anxiety. Meaning you're always hitting that refresh button, never refreshed. You're always scrolling through your feed, never being fed because you're filling your minds. Listen. I'm not against the news media. I know we have a number of news media in our church and they're really, really good people. But I do know that news media is a business, which means that they need viewership and clicks. And one of the best ways to get viewership and clicks is fear. This is why uh, hope is usually not in the headlines. And even if there is some good news, they lace it with something to be afraid of. I saw this last week. It was like cases, hospitalizations, and death rates are plummeting. Experts are still very concerned about the spring. You know, I'm like, oh, come on, man. And we've got to be intentional about how much intake is happening because our minds and our nervous systems are containers that can only hold so much. So somebody explained it to me this way here recently, and I thought it was really, really helpful. And I thought I would kind of pass this on uh, to you as well. I want you to think about our, our minds, our, our nervous system as a container. And there's only, only so many things that we can hold. And when our minds get a certain, filled up to a certain extent and they overflow that's where anxiety comes from. And when your mind is constantly overflowing, that stuck accelerator, it's just chronic anxiety. So one of the things that we all have to um, really do a a good job to be intentional about is to recognize this idea of personal responsibility, what what goes in the I can, and faith, what goes in the God can. And when we get these mixed up, that's a recipe for anxiety. And so there's only uh, so many, like sometimes Christians will over-spiritualize things and sometimes we under-spiritualize things. And a healthy Christ follower knows what God can do and what I can do. So let me give you kind of a couple of examples of this. I'm uh, maybe talking to somebody and uh, they say, you know, I'm really, really struggling uh, with uh, financial health and uh, we got a lot of bills piling up. And I'm like, man, you know, what are you doing? Uh, And they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really praying. I'm asking God that, you know, help me win the lottery. and Or maybe that my rich uncle will remember me in his will. Okay, well, that's one way you could do it. Or, you know, you could develop a budget. And that's something you can do tangibly. It won't get you out of it immediately, but you could develop a budget. Or I'm really, really praying that, uh, you know, God would give me a job. You know, just my perfect dream job would just come about and, and uh, that they would call me and offer me, you know, six figures and whatever. It's like, okay, well, or, or you could, you know, work on your resume. You know, that's like something that you can go in the eye can. I was talking to a, a young man uh, recently. and He's just like, oh, man, I'm really just praying that uh, God would bring the right girl into my life. I really want to be married. And, and uh, I'm like, man, that's fantastic. You know, are you, are you working on your character? Are you working on the kind of person that, that uh, somebody else could marry rather than just looking for the one? And, and uh, he's just like, well, you know, I'm just kind of praying that God would bring her into my life. I'm like, well, you know, why don't we take a shower? Right? that's like, like, <laughs> let's, like, let's start there girls think showers are sexy all right that's, that's, <laughs> like, let's do that all right so but see and we also we also get this confused like some of us like we we spend all this time like worried 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 that god's going to provide listen you've worked on your resume you've got a great job and uh, you you you've developed a budget and you're still worried about money and there's only so many things you can control you cannot control the economy and you cannot control your boss's decisions provision is god's deal And when you try to over-own provision, you're trying to put it into this container, and there's no room for it. It doesn't fit. And it's anxiety. Let me give you another one. Uh, Many of us, like, we uh, love our kids so, so much, and we want the best for them, and what loving parent wouldn't? But we overreach, and we're constantly hovering, and we're constantly trying to protect them from every little thing to the point that it's stunting their growth in every way. Listen, protection is God's deal. And when you try to over-own that, you're putting it in this container. It doesn't fit, it overflows. And the result is anxiety. We gotta figure out what is it that God owns? What is it that I own? Put it in the cans and then, and then trust him in faith, but also take personal responsibility. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm chapter 42, verse five. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? In other words, these are the mental thoughts that he's having. And then he answers it. He says, I will put my hope In God, You know what he just did right there? He took all these worries and concerns. He said, I'm going to put what's in the God can and leave it there. I'm going to put what I can do. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to sleep at night. I'm going to put my hope in God. One of the things that you've oftentimes heard me say from up front is that one of the most common commands in God's word is this command, fear not. It is mentioned over and over and over again. And you hear that and it kind of sounds like maybe, you know, God's yelling at you like, fear not, you know, just stop it but almost always within the orbit of fear not when it's mentioned in God's word is for, I am with you. It's a promise. He says, don't fear because why, why? Because I'll take all your problems away or because nothing bad will ever, no, bad things are gonna happen, but I'm with you. When uh, my oldest daughter Campbell was six years old, she's 16 now, but when she was six, we, our family went to Disney And uh, she loves like roller coasters and like anything scary. That's like kind of her deal. And um, she wanted to ride the uh, Haunted Mansion ride at Disney. And I was a little apprehensive. I was like, honey, you know, it's a little intense. Are you sure you know what you're doing? And she's like, she was so confident. She's like, daddy, I know everything about that ride and I'm totally fine with it and I wanna go. And I was like, all right, you know, she insisted. And so we go and we get in line and we're about like halfway through the line, you know, to where there's crowds of people in front of us and crowds of people behind us. So we're sort of, you know, committed at this point. And she starts ruminating and I can see it. Like the shift from confidence to sort of uncertainty begin to take place, it was all over her face. And she's looking around, she's looking at the graveyard and all the creepy music and the sounds, of screams coming from inside. And she starts ruminating and she's like, daddy, we're gonna be okay, right? Like, daddy, this is all fake, right? Like, daddy, I know that this is all make-believe. And she's just like trying to convince herself, like over, and I kept answering. I was like, yeah, honey, it's all make-believe. It's just for entertainment. We're gonna be-. But she just kept ruminating and it got worse and worse and worse the closer we got to getting in the little train. By the time that we got up to the train, I even looked at her and I said, honey, are you sure? Like, there's the chicken door, like right there. We can go. And she's like, no, daddy, we can do it. But there was all this look of uncertainty on her face. And we got on the little train and we sat down and we got locked in and right as it started to move, she melted down and she started bawling and yelling. She's like, daddy, I don't wanna be on this, like get me off and everything within me is her dad. I wanted to pull the little emergency rope that wasn't there to stop the train and get her off. But it was too late. And the only thing that I could do as her father is I just wrapped my arms around her. She buried her little face into my chest, crying. And I just wrapped my arms around her. And I just kept, I got around real close in her ear. And I just kept saying over and over again, I'm right here with you. I'm right here, I'm right here. And I wanted to get her off the train so bad, but I knew I couldn't do that. And we finally come to the end of the ride. And I thought she might calm down and she got off the ride, but she didn't, it just got worse. And all the way out onto the little road, she just is crying and I can't console her. And all I could do right then in that moment is just pick up my baby girl and wrap my arms around her real tight. And I just, I just sat there in the middle of the main street at Disney rocking her. And I just said, I'm right here, I'm right here. And I don't like the fact that she went through that pain, but it's honestly one of my favorite moments at Disney because I got to be real close to my daughter. Can I just say that you have a heavenly daddy right now who's wrapped his arms around you and he's saying, I know it hurts and I know it's painful. I am right here with you. And he doesn't relish your pain one bit, but I bet you he loves the intimacy. When you're willing to just throw open your arms into the arms of your heavenly father, don't push away from him. Those of you parents, you've had little kids, you're trying to help them and they don't think you're trying to help and they push away, doesn't it hurt? God feels that same thing when you push away from your faith in the midst of incredible pain, which some of you are doing. God says, I'm right here. Jeremiah comes to this conclusion in verses 21 to 24, after he's aired out all of his anxiety. And he says, yet I still dare to hope. It's a risk, but I'm gonna dare to hope. When I remember in his mind, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, a new narrative. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore I will hope in him. And if you cannot bring yourself to clap right now, I get it because anxiety feels like darkness. And you know that not all dark rooms are the same. You know, a a pit is dark. You know what else is dark? A tunnel. And a tunnel is way more hopeful than a pit. When you're in a pit, you don't know where to go. Like there's nothing, you just keep bumping into walls. Can't get out. But a tunnel, it's dark, but there's a way out. You can put one foot in front of the other. And right now, some of you, you need to just invite your heavenly daddy into your life and say, he's saying, hey, I promise I'm with you and I will walk you out of this tunnel of despair. I'll bring healing into your life. And healing doesn't happen all at once, it's a process. It's like if you break an arm, you want God to heal it and he will, but you don't say, hey God, take my broken arm away. He goes, no, I'll heal it. And the same thing is true with mental and emotional struggles. The same thing is true with anxiety. He may not take it away like that. He could, he can, he has the power to, but chances are he'll heal you from it. And that is a process. And I just wanna invite you to get the help and the hope that you need. And today I wanna invite you to start with Jesus, your heavenly father and just surrender yourself to him. If you are ready to take the next step in your spiritual journey, you can text the word Jesus to 87221, wherever you may be, whether you're in Indy or around the world somewhere, and our team will follow up with you and just help you take those next steps, whatever they are. Maybe you just need to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe some of you need to get into a group. Maybe some of you need to be baptized. Maybe some of you just need to go, man, over the last year, I'm one of those people that just dropped away and I'm ready to pull myself back up to the table again and be involved in the mission of God and what it is that he has for me today. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And I thank you that your word is so practical and so real that this isn't just about preparing us for heaven one day when we die, but it's about how to engage in abundant life here in an imperfect, broken, messed up, divided world. And God, so many of us are hurting And so many of us are struggling and we've been struggling alone. And maybe it's time we step out and we raise up our hand and we say, I need some help. I can't do this anymore. And as a church family, maybe we come around them with compassion and empathy and with the spirit that says, yeah, me too. I know what that's like, but you don't have to stay there. There's a God who can meet you in the middle of your sin struggle, your stress struggle, your anxiety struggle. And he can walk you through through it and out of it. And so, Father, today I pray that you would meet that person wherever they are, in the room or through the screen, and that your spirit would do a heart-shaping work in their life right now, today, and that today would signify the beginning of a new day in the life of our people, in the life of our nation, in the life of our world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.